0: morning, good morning, good morning. morning. And Merry Christmas. The cold just made it feel a little bit more like Christmas in here, didn't it? I was expecting it to snow any moment. As soon as Craig mentioned what he was going to do, I'm like, he's trying to kill me. (laughs) I'm super sensitive to cold, so there's that. John 1, 46. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of teenage pregnancy? Can anything good come out of these basic sheep shepherds? Can anything good come out of being born in a barn? Can anything good come out of star gazing astrologers? Can anything good come? Have you ever looked into your lineage? Anyone? Anyone looked into their ancestry? I have not. But I have heard it's fascinating. Lineage is an interesting thing. It can be a way to ground you as an individual. You know, you kind of find out where you came from, you, what you're a part of, obstacles maybe that your family line has overcome, what you're capable of because of what's been done before you. It, it someone once prophesied over our family that we have royalty in our ancestry. <laughs> I've never looked to confirm it, but I do wonder about it though. But I also wonder about a lot of things. <laughs> Sometimes I just sit and think and I wonder about things. I see an ad for a dessert and I'm like I wonder wonder what that tastes like like we should like I wonder you know I um, sometimes I think you know these extremely elite wealthy people in the world I wonder what that would feel like to have so much unlimited wealth what would that life be like I wonder I wonder what you know when your kids are little I wonder what my kids will grow up to be I wonder if I'll one day marry again Not me. (laughs) I don't actually wonder that. But, you know, for those people who aren't currently married or maybe were married and would like to marry again. I wonder. I wonder. I wonder. Wonder is a way of unifying us. It has a way to unify us. It's one thing that you can sit with anyone on the earth and you can, it can be any background, any belief system, and you can share together because wonder has no boundaries and it has no opinions. It's just wonder. I wonder about the first Christmas and the implications that that first Christmas has on us today more than 2,000 years later. So this morning, I want to share on our Christmas inheritance. Over a year ago, I listened to a message on the subject of Christmas inheritance, and it really affected me. So today, I I want to just kind of draw from that a little bit and and present it to you because I, I believe that it is going to have a profound impact on the way you see things, of where you came from, and where you're going, and where you are today. I believe God has something for us today on inheritance. Inheritance, the acquisition of a possession, a condition from past generations. Let's go to Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26. It says In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to the Galilean village of Nazareth to a virgin engaged to be married to a man descended. From David, his name was Joseph, and his virgin's name was Mary. Upon entering, Gabriel greeted her. Good morning. You're beautiful with God's beauty. Beautiful inside and out. God be with you. She was thoroughly shaken, wondering what was behind this greeting. But the angel assured her, Mary, you have nothing to fear. God has a surprise for you. You will become pregnant. And give birth and call his name Jesus. Now, (laughs) if any of you have ever had a surprise pregnancy, this is like a whole new level of surprise pregnancy right here. It says, he will be great. He will be called the son of the highest. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, who will rule Jacob's house forever. Mary said, but how? I've never slept with a man. The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of his highest hover over you. You will bring this child to birth. He will be called Holy Son of God. Okay, so let's wonder for a minute together how exactly did Mary become pregnant? Hmm. Were both parts from God or just one part? Because I think, you know, we can all say we understand the biological aspects of pregnancy. So were both reproductive cells from man and from woman? supernaturally deposited into Mary, or just the male reproductive cell joined up with Mary's own reproductive cell. The word sperm is derived from the Greek word sperma, meaning seed. Think about that. Now, this is awkwardly important. But why? Because we know the Bible says that Jesus was fully God with the sperm or seed of God and fully man with the egg or reproductive cell of Mary. So this is supernatural syracuse at its finest right here. So Mary has this visitation and then she leaves. Okay, she, she just, she leaves. She's, picture it, she's 13. She's pregnant by God. That's already a lot. (laughs) Just those two things. The pressure's intense, and she she leaves for like three months. She's on the road. And and, and how many know she wasn't running from God? She was actually running to him to meet up with Elizabeth, someone who could help her. How many know sometimes we just need to be around people who can support us in our awkward calls, (laughs) on our non-traditional journeys? So Mary says yes to the call of God to carry the Son of God. And because of this, today we get to talk about our spiritual inheritance. So let's go to the baby birth. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days it occurred that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole Roman Empire should be registered. Joseph went from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the town of David, which is Bethlehem, because he was of the, the family of David, to be enrolled with Mary, who was about to become a mother. While they were there, the time came for her delivery. She gave birth to her son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room or place for them in the inn. So Jesus was laid in a manger. Why? Because there was no room or place for them in the inn. Did you get that? They wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room or place for them in the end. This is why. This is why. It was not because he was supposed to. It's not because it was just a kind of cool vibe. You know, the nativity scene kind of beautiful. It's actually not, actually. He was born in a barn and he was laid in a manger because no one called ahead to book a room in the most busy time the city has ever seen. Planning is important, guys. Planning is important how many are planners in the room yeah okay so you all know okay how many are not okay Wow. it's about 50 50 here so now all the planners are in the room are like see what happens when you don't plan God is born in a barn that's what happens so thousands of years before there were prophecies about Jesus being born but none of them said a barn None of them says his cradle will be a feeding trough of animals. He was born there because no one made a reservation. (laughs) No one called ahead. See, even the most called of the Lord can still miss important planning details as we do our best to follow him in our busy seasons. Am I right? (laughs) See, not everything God calls us to do will go off perfectly executed. Walking out the call of God doesn't always look like what we thought it would look like. If you've ever been to um, Disneyland, there's canoe, the canoe rides that you can go on. And it you can kind of go around Tom Sawyer's Island in these canoes. And it looks so cool. You're just like, wow, look at those people in the canoes. And they're like, they're rowing their boat. And we're like, we should do that. Well, we did that once. And then we get in there, and we're like, what were we thinking? <laughs> It's so hot. And you're like, and then, and then if everyone doesn't row the same, you're fighting against each other. You know what I'm saying? And it's just like such hard work. It looked cool, but it wasn't so good once we got in the boat. See, it wasn't the perfect scenario, but it worked. And I feel like that's the situation with Jesus in this manger. It's not the perfect scenario, but it it worked. Mary might not have called ahead to book the room, but she still got it right with her yes to God. So there are animals. There's hay. There's poop. There's, it's probably cold like it wasn't here this morning. You know? And then the shepherds came. Hmm. Okay, the shepherds came. So let's figure that out for a moment. How did they arrive on this scene? So the, the, the God baby is born. And as he's being born... Over here, this has already happened in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. It says, there were shepherds camping in the neighborhood. They had set night watches over their sheep. Suddenly, God's angel stood among them, and God's glory blazed around them. They were terrified. The angels said, don't be afraid. I'm here to announce a great and joyful event that is meant for everyone worldwide. A savior was just born in David's town, a savior, the Messiah. This is what you look for, a baby wrapped in a blanket, lying in a manger. So what happened? He's wrapped in a blanket. He's lying in a manger. The angels appeared. Tell the shepherds, go look for this. So at once, the angel was joined with huge angelic choir, and they were singing praises and glory to God, peace to all men and women. And as the angel choir withdrew into heaven, the shepherds talked it over. Let's go and get to Bethlehem as fast as we can and see for ourselves what God has revealed to us. So they left running and found Mary and Joseph and the baby. Seeing was believing. They told everyone what the angel had said about this child. And they were all impressed. Shepherds in the field with sheep having angelic encounters. Wow. So they're just doing their own thing. They're not really waiting for the baby to be born that night. They weren't probably waiting for anything besides just kind of punching the clock. It's a regular work day, counting down the hours to leaving time, you know. Sometimes there's just seasons like that, right? Where there's no special spiritual encounters happening. There's no revival services. Life is just life at least for you anyway, you know, maybe others around you, they're like in the glory cloud over here. They're like experiencing all the amazing things of what God is doing. They're living the life, but you're taking care of sheep. The same sheep you've taken care of for years in the same place and the same schedule. You're just pouring the coffee. You're just answering the phones. You're just rocking, feeding, keeping the babies alive. There are frustrating seasons of life where you're watching sheep and you're waiting for nothing. And you may be stuck there until the unexpected angelical arrival. So we wait and wait and wait, or we don't wait. We don't know what we're waiting for, maybe for change, maybe for not. And then it happens. And what do we do? Because I wonder, I wonder if, if I was married, would I have been like, yes. To that call. I wonder if I were the shepherds, would I have been like, let's go? If I was in that field that day with two hours left on my shift, some of you are like, yeah, I'd say yes right now. I haven't even been asked the question, and I'm already saying yes because I need a change in my life. Let me encourage you if that's you, the Lord knows how to find you in your field. When you're doing what you're supposed to be doing in the season that you are, he will find you in order to move you into the next. Whether you're watching sheep or pouring coffee, whether you're home with your little ones or stuck in a job that you just don't like, he will find you. Isn't it interesting that the group, the one group who arrived on that scene, when that baby, when Jesus was laid in the manger, born in a barn, was the one group that completely, utterly, without doubt, understood the environment and related to the context. They were shepherds. May I suggest to you this morning that the very thing that could be draining you, that you may feel stuck in, that you might feel has nothing of what he's called you to do in it, nothing that's helping you, could be the very thing that's preparing you to be the best, the most educated, the most qualified one on the scene of what's next. So So Jesus was born, the shepherds came, and then some time passed. Let's go to Matthew chapter 2. It says Jesus was born in Bethlehem. After he was born in Bethlehem, Judah's territory, this was during Herod's kingship, a band of scholars, or magi, arrived in Jerusalem from the east. They asked around, where can we find and pay homage to the newborn king of the Jews? We observed a star in the eastern sky that signaled his birth. We're on a pilgrimage to worship him. When the word of their inquiry got out to Herod, he was terrified. And not just Herod, but most of Jerusalem as well. Herod lost no time. He gathered all the priests and religious scholars in the city and said, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? They told him, Bethlehem. The prophet Micah wrote it plainly. It's you, Bethlehem, in Judah's land, no longer bringing up the rear. From you will come the leader who will shepherd rule my people. Magi were astrologers. They studied the heavens to determine the future. God knew this about them and he spoke to them within their context so they'd understand it. He gave them a sign from heaven Because they studied the heavens. But how did the Magi even know there was a Messiah to begin with? In order to find this out, we have to go back to Daniel. So if you go back to Daniel, in the Old Testament, there's Daniel. Living in a time when evil is prevalent. Okay, The king in power does not follow the Lord God. In fact, this king is a polytheist, which means he believes in more than one God. The king's god is Belshazzar. Daniel, carrying the favor of the one true god, is looked upon favorably by the king. He recognizes Daniel and the spirit that he carries, and he actually names Daniel the name of his god. He calls him the same thing. He just gives him this name. And then he places him in charge of all the magicians. So Daniel becomes the chief magician. So in a time of evil ruling, God makes a way for one of his people to rise to high levels of influence in a secular sphere of society. Okay, so Daniel 4, 9, Belt shuts his ear. chief of musicians, I know that you are a man full of divine Holy Spirit and there's no mystery you can't solve. Listen to this dream I had. This is what the king says to Daniel. So here's Daniel. He's the chief of the magicians at the king's hand, interpreting a dream that none of the other magicians were able to at that time. Here's the man, moments before, he wouldn't even eat the king's food because it was against his beliefs. But yet, he deems it okay to take on the king's demonic name of his random god and become the chief of the sorcerers. Does something sound a little odd about this? Why? Why did he say yes to this? See, because God will find you in the most unassuming places, and he will move you into the places of influence purely because of your heartfelt devotion and your simple yes to him. This, there was an end game here, okay? It was the long game, as you'll see in a moment, but it was a plan. So then we fast forward. The magician's name got shortened to Magi. Okay, so remember, Daniel said yes to the uncomfortable on-box call of God to have a devil's name and lead a demonic group of magicians. 530 years before the birth of Christ, he runs team lead on this, these stargazers, and he guides them into a connection with the one true God and teaches them the word of God. Well, how do I know that? Because here they are, more than 500 years later, looking for the Messiah, the King of the Jews. They've learned the scripture. They've become the Magi. They know God, and they're looking to the stars to find him. And here he is God, the creator of the stars, meeting them where they are at in their context, within their profession. Okay, And he's like, you want a star? I'll show you a star. <laughs> Disciples of Daniel called to something more. And he's like, I'm, I'm going to show you. This is a star you'll never forget. You've already been changed, but you're about to be transformed as you follow the sign of heaven into what's to come. Magi following the true God 500 years later, after they were almost killed off by the king because they couldn't interpret a dream but daniel stepped in and he interpreted the dream and he changed history and he led this team and he saved the lives of all of them just because he was able to interpret something as god gave him the power to do that so the star now in the sky serves as a sign to guide them to the messiah Genesis 1 verse 14 says, let there be light and let it be for signs, for seasons, for days and years. See, God put the light in the sky first for signs, then for seasons. From the beginning, God has had a plan to meet with you. So the Magi look for stars. For God to give them a sign, they looked, they waited. The star showed, and they followed this star for 6,000 miles. They missed the beautiful nativity scene, but they found the Messiah almost two years later. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 7, then Herod secretly called for the Magi and he determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And then he sent them to Bethlehem. Go search for the child. And when you found him, report back to me. Because, you know, I kind of want to go worship him too. After hearing the king, they went on their way. Behold, the star which they'd seen in the east went ahead of them until it came to stop over the place where the child was to be found. When they saw the star, they rejoiced. And they came into the house. They saw the child with his mother. They fell down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with their gifts, of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They weren't in a barn, they weren't in a house. It was almost two years later. Two years, they followed the star to get to the place they were called to be after 530 years. They were astrologers, they were magi, but not like we would think today. Maybe back in Daniel's day, that's how they were. But today, these magi were believers in God because they followed a sign of God. See, creation speaks of God. Of course it does. Why wouldn't creation declare the wonder of the creator? The Bible says the unbeliever can't even look to creation without, you know, realizing that there's someone bigger at work here. Herod's plan was to kill these baby boys, though. He wasn't interested in going to worship the king. He was threatened. He didn't see the Messiah as king. He saw the threat of his kingdom. See, if you live, if we live in opposition to God, if we are trapped by our own ideals of what it should be and how it should look, we won't find him if he's standing right in front of us. But if we open ourselves up to a sign, however it comes, a star, a group of angels, a a, uh, immaculate conception, he will find you no matter where you are. So Jesus, born fully God, fully man, came to restore us. Of all of mankind, no matter where you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what your natural lineage was or is, back to him. Jesus, born of a woman, not just in a woman. In Hebrews, it says that he partook of the same suffering of that of a man. See, Jesus was born son of man and son of God. This was intentional. This was purposeful. This was the beginning of the seed of our inheritance. Christmas. Born of Mary, fathered by Joseph, but Joseph was never his biological father. See, we are born, we now are born of the seed of Christ, which was why God is our father and not our mother. Mary, if we want to look in our lineage, really could be described as our our mother from our lineage in Christ. Chris Valentin says this, he says, Jesus became the son of man so that the sons of men could become the sons of God. So then years pass and Jesus grows. He's, he's 12 years old now. He's 12. And Mary and Joseph, they lost him. They were on a journey and they lost their 12-year-old boy. And they're, they're, they're traveling in a large group. And finally, after realizing, after sometime, a couple days, they were like, oh, my gosh, we can't find Jesus. We have to go find him. So they, they, they search for him and say, have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? No, we haven't seen him. I think he's back there. They finally find him. And when they find him, Mary's like, Jesus, your father and I have been worried sick. What were you thinking? And Jesus says this. He says, don't you know that I need to be about my father's business? See, what Jesus was saying is, Joseph's not my dad. This wasn't rude. This was revelation. Why is this important? Because in order to know what inheritance we have, we need to know and fully understand where we came from. See, whether you've ever looked into your natural lineage, we all have a spiritual one. So let's trace it for a moment. There's two genealogies. In the Bible of Jesus, one traces Jesus back to Adam, the father of sin. Two traces Jesus back to Abraham, the father of faith. Why two? Why is there two? Well, let's look at them. I'm not going to read them. If you really want some fascinating reading material, though, you should read them through on your own time. Is this one begot this one, and this is father of this one. And <laughs> I'm telling you, though, there is good stuff in there. Luke, chapter 3, traces the lineage of Jesus through Adam. Matthew, chapter 1, traces the lineage of Jesus through David, through Abraham. Matthew, in that lineage, also names ten kings. So remember that. See, when we receive Jesus for that first time and we are born again the bible talks about we are born again we are now born out of the lineage of christ the messiah not mary's side not joseph's side jesus we are no longer traced back to aligned to tied to the father of sin adam that luke lineage But now we are tied to and connected to and traced back to the father of faith, Abraham. We switched lineages. And David, who was a king. Abraham was a priest, the father of faith. And David, who was a king. David, also in the Bible, was promised a throne that would never, ever end. David, a man, promised a throne that would never, ever end. So when we become born again, our lineages change from Luke to Matthew. Now, you've been changed. You know you've been born again out of the lineage in Christ. It's important to be aware that there are kings and priests that are mentioned in this lineage of Matthew that are not mentioned in the lineage of Luke that Luke talks about. There are also women. There's three women mentioned in the lineage that's mentioned in Matthew. Revelation 1 says that we are kings and priests. How do we get there? We become kings and priests as we are born again and our lineage changes. Through the inheritance of our father... David the king, the Bible says, who his throne will last forever and ever. And through our father Abraham, the father of faith, who was a priest and a prophet, our royal lineage is flowing from a priestly and prophetic line. This is how. So Jesus is named king of kings in the Bible. We are some of the kings that Jesus is the king of. The king of kings. Because of our royal lineage in him as we become born again. I know this is a lot. Just stay with me. In Matthew, at the end, if you will read to the very end of the, book, of the lineage in Matthew, it says there are 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 more generations from David to the deportation of Babylon, and another 14 generations from the deportation of Babylon to Jesus the Messiah. When you read the names and count them from the deportation of Babylon to to the Messiah, there are only 13, but it says there were 14. You count them. It's like there's 13. Why? Why would it say there's there's 14 when we can only count 13? I wonder, do you wonder if it's because you and I are the fourteenth? We are the next in line. We are the next in line in the lineage of Christ. As we are born again and we switch from Luke to Matthew, we have a role, we have a place, we have a future, we have royal ancestry. You and I are the sons and daughter of the Christ of the Messiah. The Bible says that anyone that is led by the Spirit is the Son of God and an heir of Jesus. And as heirs, we sit on a kingly throne We sit on that throne. Well, what throne do we sit on? We we, we would think we sit on the throne of Christ, but we actually sit on the throne of David because Christ sits on the throne of David because David was promised a throne that would never end, that it would go on forever, ever. A human man, a throne that would go on forever, never. So Christ sits on the throne of David and we are heirs to Christ and we sit on that same throne as kings and priests in our royal line to live a prophetic destiny for what he's called us to do and who he's called us to be. This means we can rule and we can reign and we can live and we can love like our ancestors. We can do wonders and we can follow signs and we can be great and influence our culture and our society. We have a purpose, a great purpose. We are part of a royal. Is our Christmas inheritance. It started with a 13-year-old on Mary Girl who said yes to the uncomfortable. And it ends with a choice to say yes in the middle of our field, waiting for nothing. Or as we follow a star for two years, hoping there's something good at the end of it. This is the wonder. This is the power of Christmas. It's not in a manger. It's in an inheritance. Maybe you're here this morning, you're like, I don't even have a relationship with Jesus. How do, how do I switch? <laughs> I don't want to be stuck in Luke. I want to go to the Matthew one, the one you're talking about. Your, your lineage can change just like that. Just like that, in a moment, when you receive Jesus, your lineage changed. You, 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 can, you can enter the lineage of the royalty, of the famous. You can partner with the lineage of the stories of redemption, of the broken. You can, men and women alike, kings and priests alike, because you now know who you are and whose you are. And I believe that some of us are here, and you're like, I do have friendship with Jesus, and I have been living for him. But I am a little stuck. And I don't know if I'll be found by God. Like, I really want to believe it. But it's been so long since he's pushed me or pulled me or highlighted the next step for me. If you aren't convinced yet because of the basic shepherds, because of 13-year-old Mary or the pre-saved sorcerers, I want to share this one thing as I end this morning. God will move heaven and earth to fulfill the prophetic word on your life as you submit to his plan, and this is how I know. There are, f- there are four prophets that prophesied where Jesus would be from, and they're all different. Four different places he said he'd be from. Bethlehem, Egypt, Nazareth, and Galilee. If you look on a map, these are different places. I have a map on my phone. I screenshotted it and I look at it and I'm like, some of these places have some great distances. <laughs> In Matthew, all these are out Matthew two two, Matthew 2.13, Matthew 2.19 and 4.12. They all say different one. One says Bethlehem. He would be you, Bethlehem, will come the leader who would shepherd my people. And it says, to fulfill the prophet Micah's word. Then it says, Egypt, to fulfill the word spoken by, I will call my son out of Egypt. And then it was Nazareth, he shall be called a Nazarene, to fulfill the word spoken by. And then Galilee, he will be a light in Galilee for the people, to fulfill the word spoken by Isaiah. Okay, four different places, four different prophets. Jesus was moved four times to fulfill four words by four prophets who said he was from four different places. And if you read into depth these stories, Often it will say, in a dream an angel came and said this. Or an angelic encounter suggested they go here to fulfill the word of the prophet by. Okay? An angel came. As heirs of the Lord. In the lineage of Jesus, we have access to angelic help in our lives. The Bible says the angels are ministering servants given to the heirs of salvation. God moved Jesus by angels as they came and gave instruction to four places in order to fulfill prophetic words. When we pray, when we prophesy, when a prophetic word is over your life, angels will come to carry out the word of the Lord for you. Psalms 103 verse 19 says they carry out his word. God set his throne in heaven and he rules over all. So bless God, you angels ready and able to fly at his bidding, quick to hear and do what he says. Bless God, you armies of angels alert to respond to whatever he will. Bless God, you creatures wherever you are. Angels carry out the word of the Lord. You may be waiting. You may feel delayed. But angels are currently working on your behalf to carry out the promise of God on your life. You receive that word. You say yes to God. Angels are dispatched on your behalf. It may take some time, but you are not forgotten in your field today. Why don't we stand this morning? This is our Christmas inheritance. Father, oh, we thank you. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you. You are a good father. Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for the seed that you allowed yourself to be in order for us to stand here today. To have access to all the inheritance that we do because you came. Thank you for the promises on our life. Thank you for the angelic help that you send on our behalf to move us into places that you have called us to be. Thank you for salvation for the saving power that could switch my life and my lineage from the father of sin to the father of faith, that I might live forever on a throne that you've placed for me. I pray right now for each one in this room. I pray for those that may not know you, that today would be their day, that they would come into relationship with you, that they would know you, that the light would come on in their life, their purpose, and, and their plan that you have for them would be illuminated. And I pray for those that us that could be waiting in a season where we feel stuck. I pray That you would give us the the rejuvenation, the hope that would come alive again. To say today, I'm not not discouraged anymore, but I am one day closer to the promise and the destiny of my life. Because I know the Lord is working on my behalf. He who has promised is faithful to continue the work in my life. why don't you just quickly grab the hand of the person next to you, if you can. I just feel, just even in this moment, just begin to pray for the person on your right, the person on your left. We don't know what they're going through or what they could be facing, but we know a God who does. So right now, Father, we pray for the person on our right. We pray for the person on our left. That you would come and meet them where they are. That you would come and bring the hope of the goodness of the good news. (laughs) That they would become awakened to your call and to the inheritance you have today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. amen. Amen.